0: Okay. David Gerald came back to write this episode. He also did another TAS episode of Bam, I believe, which we'll get to later. If you don't remember the name, he wrote Trouble with Tribbles. Although it is also worth noting he didn't try it, write it alone. He himself has admitted that he had a staff, a team that he could work with, and workshop ideas. And he also admitted that maybe one of the reasons this episode suffered a little bit is because he lacked that. I tend to agree with that assessment. I was uh not the most impressed when it came to this episode. It wasn't terrible, but kind of, like, a lot of the jokes didn't land. And the rest of it was just kind of there. What's interesting, though, is this episode was going to be a TOS episode. Friedberger really didn't like Trouble Tribbles. Pretty sure I pointed that out back in the day. And felt that, you know, comedy and tribbles in particular just had no place in TOS. So he ejected that and torpedoed that. So this was something that was being workshopped around prior to the animated series being started up. And it seemed like a logical move to go ahead and tap him and be like, hey, you know, you want to come back and do that episode? And he's like, yeah, sure. So. This then leads us to the robot ships, a.k.a. the Antares class. Uh, this is one of those weird things. If you paid attention during the TOS ruminations, I hope you did, I kept pointing out historical moments. You know, this is the first such and such. And it's, it, was, it was fascinating and weird to discuss the first times certain things happened in Trek history. Well, this is another one. It's in the frickin' animated series. This is the first time we've had another Starfleet slash Federation vessel. Another a completely new and distinct class of ship. A whole other ship. Not counting little shuttlecrafts or like the little uh, yachts or personal trouts or anything like that. An actual full-fledged ship, the Antares class, as it would eventually be developed into. So the second ship, real ship in Federation slash Starfleet history is this thing in this episode. It actually looks kind of cool. I'm with it with the design. So Kirk spends a little bit too much time asking him to identify himself, which makes sense. You know, Kirk needs the details. So it's, it's, it's it's like when you talk to a Vorlon, the Vorlon just keeps saying, identify yourself. And you're like, well, I'm, I'm such and such. No, identify yourself. Well, I'm so, I, I, I work here and do this. Identify yourself. Who are you? Uh, <clears throat> New Klingon weapon, projected stasis field. This is insane. It's a straight up mez and probably shouldn't work at all. And the way they talk about it, it f- freezes all higher functions, including weapons. But not transporters, as we discuss later. Which is funny because as I've pointed out a few that brilliant times in Star Trek, transporters are terrifying and deadly weapons, but you know, we'd want to disable those, would we? Naturally, this incredibly terrifying and dangerous weapon never shows up again. Not even a reference, I looked. So I guess this makes the Klingons a threat of the week, doesn't it? Because that's how that works, right? That's one of the key hallmarks of a threat of the week is that they show up and they've just got a cheat. It's just a cheat button. You know, they've got temporal torpedoes or they've got mega planetary cannons or they've got ships that can outpace you despite being, you know, planetary locked or whatever. It's always some stupid cheat, right? So here the Klingons have this cheat. It it freezes you. Red light. Okay, green light. And even, I'll give them some credit because they have, add the fact that it, you know, it requires an enormous amount of power to maintain. Which would have been kind of cool if they took that idea and moved forward with it. You know, making this weapon, which is insanely costly, actually sounds a lot like the limitation they added to the cloaking devices later on, that you cannot fire while cloaked. I'm sorry, I mean before now, because that limitation was actually added back in Balance of Terror. But Star Trek will continue to use that as a major point into the the modern era. And will, which, as a reminder, the modern era is the TNG DS9 stuff. And there will be a whole plot point about that in Star Trek VI. So, yeah, no, this is cool. I'm with it. It's just they don't do anything with it. This then leads to an interesting bit. They finally successfully defeat the Klingons at the cost of the grain, because we can't afford to lose the Enterprise. Those millions of people on Sherman's planet can go to hell, but we can't afford to lose the Enterprise. Sure. And Scotty has held Cyrano Jones in the transporter buffers for, and I counted, 4 minutes and 15 seconds. That's pretty impressive, especially given the fact that the transporters work fine when actively being disrupted, as shown later in this episode. So naturally, there should be no reason for this problem whatsoever, except maybe the fact that they were hit in mid-transport. But even that doesn't make sense, because it still applies the same status effect. That being said, it's clear that Scotty would take this lesson to heart and later on be able to keep someone in transporter stasis for 75 years, so at least this ensured that particular element. So Jones shows up. Hi. Um, genetic engineering to make tribbles not reproduce. We could probably talk about that for a while. We genetic engineer all the time, and we have been doing that since human societies existed even unintentionally we've been doing that dogs excuse me but this is the kind of thing that makes you think because they have th- there's been a deliberate immediate you know one generation gap attempt at genetic alteration in order to produce a better uh, better resultant and this is the kind of thing that should probably hit a few dozen ethic boards if you think about it no i mean that sincerely imagine being able to engineer a dog to be cuter, or to, to not bark as often, or whatever. Or being able to engineer a cat so that it no longer has the same claw situation. I mean, not I don't mean decline. I mean, like, change its, the structure of its hand so that it actually doesn't have or need the claws anymore. Just stuff like that. To try and improve the model. I, I don't even know where to go with that. That is a fascinating and, frankly, terrifying topic. And... As usual, I'm probably fine with it within reason, but the question is, where do you draw the line? And we'd have to probably pull up an ethics board and actually have them case by case and be like, Okay, so you want to engineer an octopus, but it doesn't sing, but it can helicopter through the sky. Approved! And stuff like that. What do you think? As always, actually curious. Either way, we then see—well, actually, technically I skipped over this, but we see Koloth earlier, who was not played by William Campbell, who is wearing pink. I do believe this is another first. I, I, Unless I missed it, and I don't think I have, this is the first inclusion of pink into the animated series, something that we'll be seeing a decent amount of later. All, all the Tribbles are pink, and the Klingons are wearing pink, and pink's going to be a thing. Believe it or not, I've heard differentiating... Differentiating? Is that a word? Yeah, I guess, I guess I could just say differing. I've heard differing accounts about why the pink thing exists. The most common story that's told is that Mr. Sutherland is actually uh, colorblind. But at the same time, I've heard other tales told that the people over on the film stock stockroom, in in working at Filmation, who's not Mr. Sutherland, were also colorblind and also had the same issue. I've also heard some people say that there was just a mistake and so some of the color codes were put in wrong and so some of them kept showing up as pink. I don't know which of these is true. I'm not even sure I care. But it is interesting to mention because no matter what the source of it is, and like I said, we have plenty of stories, there's a lot of pink in the animated series. I like to think that the Tribbles are pink because Cyrano Jones engineered them that way. Why is Koloth wearing pink? Think about it. Klingon warrior wears pink. Are you going to challenge him? Because he feels comfortable and confident enough to wear that. And he ain't going to take Jack. <laughs> so, <clears throat> there's another thing they do here. They, they have the Klingon weapon show up again. You know, it would work much better in a fleet rather than by itself. You know, like, a, like an interdictor. It just shows up, and that's its main job, is just to sit there and, and then you have the actual fleet, which does the actual work, and we know this is Star Trek, they don't have fleets, they wouldn't invent fleets until, uh, well, honestly, Wolf 359, and that was a last minute throw together, so the first time they had actual fleets would be the Deep Space Nine era, so, yes, I know, I'm skipping over periods of history that were off camera where they had fleets, but on camera, yeah, no, DS9, (laughs) I talked about that, my goodness, they do a trick here. I'd almost make fun of it, but it makes sense. There's so much cu- uh, corner cutting when it comes to the animation. Because one of the things they do is they do this. Now, I'm going to try to make it so this doesn't actually block my ha- my voice. But at least very least, if you're not watching, I'm covering my, uh, my mouth with my hand. Because this way, while they can animate the ha- mouth moving, they don't have to bother syncing it up to the voice acting, which is a whole other separate aggravating process even now never mind back in the freaking 70s or 60s or whatever so that's actually pretty clever i will give them credit on that it looks awkward as hell but i mean the whole episode does so that's just whatever at least it saves them some time and saves them some bu- uh, budget you know why is the stasis field in this episode it's almost the main thrust of the episode Like, yeah, there's Tribbles over there, but they're they're like a B-plot. The main thrust of the episode is there's a new D-7 that has a... Excuse me, a new Katinga, which has a frickin' stasis field weapon. And the whole episode is about Kirk and Koloth going off against each other and trying to defeat this stasis weapon. And it's like... There's some interesting stuff there, admittedly. But why? Why do that, and why here? You realize that that's a Katinga-class D-7 cruiser. A ship that could arguably take on a Constitution-class by itself. I think that's threat enough. I don't know. Maybe it's just a cool idea. I I shouldn't complain, I suppose. So then the grain spills everywhere. Oh, I forgot to mention, Stanley Adams plays Cyrano Jones in this episode. (laughs) I kind of forgot he was in this episode. It's funny because they insisted on bringing him back despite the horrific budget issues, which I've referenced several times now. This now makes him two of the three guest stars who are actually in the animated series after Mark Leonard. So that's that's an interesting group to be amongst. No, uh, no, Campbell. Though they didn't get to pay him back for Cola, doin as usual. James Dewan just plays everyone who is male, and Nichelle Nichols and Major Barrett just kind of parcel out the females, and that's 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 your acting troupe. So the grain spills everywhere, and at this point, I suddenly understand why they were so worried about having tribbles on the ship when there was grain all over the place. After all. See, okay, earlier in the episode, there's this bit where they're like, oh my god, there's triples and there's grain. And I'm like, who cares? The, the grain is in sealed containers. Dude, it's fine. And then the ship gets jostled and every container spills out and all the grain comes out. Like, that container wasn't even latched. Like, we have containers. Like, like here, watch. You see this? You see how no water is coming out of this bottle? It's because it has a, something, this incredible, brand new technology. It's called a lid. And these giant containers don't... I can see why they were concerned. Kirk. (laughs) Okay. There's a running gag in this episode, I will admit, actually made me laugh. Kirk brushes a treble off his chair earlier on. And then, you know, they have the stasis field thing, and the grain spills everywhere, and... Kirk gets really upset at the fact that there's, the, the, the tribbles are growing. He's not sure how to deal with this. And he demands that Cyrano comes to the bridge and then he shoves a larger tribble off his chair. Then he rants at Cyrano Jones for a while and demands that he fixes the situation. And then he throws him off his bridge and then he tries to move an even bigger tribble off of his chair. And then it gets to this point where he's finally like, I'm, I'm just going to stand. One of the things I talked about during TOS, and something that was kind of a revelation for me, was that William Shatner is a much better comedic actor than he is a a serious drama actor. You know, Boston Legal, right? I stand by that statement, and this episode is further proof for me, because in this episode, for the first time in the animated series, uh, granted, we're only five episodes in, he's actually doing his job as a voice actor. He's actually voice acting. In a comedy, but flick. Hmm. Anywho, so there's a second joke that admittedly got me. They beam the tribbles over because the transporters work fine now. It's just whatever, whatever, moving past it, moving past it. So they beam the tribbles over and the Klingons are like, oh, and there's this bit. And I'll admit it actually got a legitimate chuckle out of me because Koloth is sitting there. There's nothing going on. You're completely defeated. And this just giant, like five foot tall tribble roams by him in the background. He's just like, ah. and then you just feel the, Ugh, as he's like, okay, fine. We just want the fricking thing back. We want the triple killer back. Please give us back our treble killer. Please. We genetically engineered this thing to kill Trebles. That's why it's, it's uh stupid. It's called a glommer because only a Klingon would call something a glommer. Naturally, Glommer doesn't do its job, which I like to think that this leads immediately into the Great Tribble Hunt that's referenced over on D Space Nine. Now, what's funny is I'm in the middle of writing a note on my notes here, and I say, you know, you can just shoot the Tribbles, especially when they're that size. So then he does, and the Tribble bursts into smaller Tribbles, which makes absolutely no sense. They don't reproduce, but they, they still eat a lot, which means they turn into lots of tribbles. Go ahead, parse the sentence, because that, that's, that's what happens. McCoy, even the, the pacing of its word, McCoy says, they're colonies. Cut to Koloth, shoots one, it turns into tons of tribbles, and it's just... What? This doesn't make sense in basically any level. But that's okay, because then the episode's over. Not a great outing. I'm sorry. While there are a couple of jokes, and it did get a legitimate laugh out of me. Twice. This is just kind of whatever. It's okay, as long as we only have little Tribbles. From my perspective, this is the end of the Tribbles, too. This is the last Tribble anything I'll be covering, since they don't show up in Enterprise, and I've already done Deep Space Nine. So we must say goodbye to our furry friends and admit that whale sharks are superior in every way. I hope you've enjoyed this whale shark outing. I mean, this episode. Discrimination. I'll see you next time. See, that's how you do not funny.